This is Jamie Finn from Foster the Family, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. Hey there, friends. It's Jamie, and this is episode 10 of season two of The Real Mom Podcast. I'm talking to Casey Zaruba today, who is a biological foster adoptive mom who, I have to say, we broke the record this week. This is the longest episode of The Real Mom Podcast yet, and it's because Casey just shared her story and had me hanging on every word, learning from her, just yesing and amening as she was talking. It is so good to hear a mom talk about her story with such a God-centered perspective. I was learning from her the whole time. So this is a sweet episode. I know you're going to enjoy Casey as much as I did. I hope you enjoy episode 10 of season two of The Real Mom Podcast. Today I'm talking to Casey Zaruba. Casey is the mother of five children through adoption, foster care, and the regular old normal way of biology. We are talking today just about her family, her experiences, and I don't know Casey very well, so I'm excited to get to know her along with you. So, hi Casey, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm so grateful that you're willing to chat with me today and share your story a little bit. So just start by telling us about your family. Yeah. So I'm Casey. I am 31. My husband and I and our kiddos, we live in Texas. Um, Our journey really started a long time ago when it comes to building our family and kids. Um, Years and years and years ago when I was, I think, 24, 23 something in the early 20s, I um, had a friend that donated eggs and she um, she told me about the experience. All growing up, all I ever wanted to be was a mom. I knew that I would probably do other things in life, but I knew being a mom was one of those things. And so she told me about donating eggs and kind of what it was about, about a family that um, couldn't conceive on their own for one reason or another. So I looked into it and um, decided to go for it. And then when I did it, everybody gets the whole list of these are things that could happen, this, this, and this, these are all possibilities. Well, one of those things was you could get cysts on your ovaries. You could, you know, this could potentially affect your fertility, but it was a very low chance. And one of those, of course, they just have to say that. So we moved forward with it. Um, the way that I'll quickly overview of how that process kind of works. Um, so basically you have to go through a full genetic background. You share pictures up until for my process, I shared pictures up until I was at the age of 12. Um, they don't want to go above that because for ours, it was anonymous. And so, um, you have to be chosen by somebody. So I was chosen by this couple. It was completely anonymous. I went through months and months and months of, um, hormone injections to basically trick my body into thinking I was getting pregnant. Well, we got to the very end and I believe it was my estrogen levels got really dangerously high. We had to stop the process and start all over again. So it was time consuming, but for me, I could not wrap my mind around not being able to get pregnant and have children of my own. Adoption was nowhere on my radar. Truly, it just wasn't. Um, So I went through it again and I was able to um, donate 19 eggs to couple. And so that, that was really, really amazing. Well, um, soon after I got married, we decided we wanted to have a family of our own fast forward five years of infertility and never being able to get pregnant. 
And so that was kind of um, a little bit hard. I mean, a lot hard for us. It wasn't a little bit. It was a lot hard right. for us uh, to want that one thing of being a mom and, you know, not getting it. So was there ever a connection made by the doctors that what you had gone through in donating your eggs was sort of the cause of this or was that not determined? Yeah. So this is the part that sometimes kind of confuses people. Whenever we started our infertility, whenever we started having these infertility struggles and went on for years and years and years, um, I have nothing in the world against, um, any kind of medical intervention to try to get pregnant. I actually think it's amazing for some reason though, I felt God put this thing on my heart. That was, that was almost like a, let me do this. Don't go further than this. So I never, in those five years, I never had one test done. I never tried Clomid. I never went any further than just naturally trying, you know, to conceive with my husband. That was one of the hardest parts for me is knowing I had these options and not doing them and trying to really be obedient in that thing I knew God was putting on my heart so strongly. So in all of those five years, I'll be able to talk more about this in a minute, but in all of those five years, we never did a single test. We never did anything to try to get pregnant outside of naturally conceiving or seeing why I wasn't getting pregnant. Um, And then after that, and, and it kind of makes sense now being you know, past it. Why, um, God put this desire in my heart to go to Africa randomly in a time in our marriage where we were new to being married. We did not have the money to go to Africa. Nothing. I mean, we had not, and I was like, like, I think we should go to Uganda. My husband was like, I mean, we like, what are you talking about? Like, we do not have the money to go to Uganda. We are trying to start our own family. And I just kept on and he shut it down and shut it down. And, and then I think moving forward, he really saw that I wasn't letting this go. So, um, that was around January, September. And that year we went to Uganda for a month and served in an orphanage. Looking back, I can see that God was using that opportunity to open my husband's heart to adoption because at the time he was not open to adoption. It was a hard no for him. Um, he just wasn't open to really, it wasn't on his heart. It was on my heart. So we go to Uganda and we serve in an orphanage for a month. We fall in love with a little boy named Kamaga there who we spend the next couple of years trying to adopt and spending time um, growing with his orphanage. We were never able to adopt him. And we knew even if we were, that would be years in the process. So we actually have the crazy story. So we come home from Uganda <laughs> and start an international adoption in the Czech Republic. My, my husband's family is Czech. Um, oddly enough, we did that. And I'm going to be very honest even if it makes me sound horrible right now, but we, we went international because we did not want a relationship with birth parents. We did not want. That is, that's me too. I was never supposed to adopt domestically because for me, it was terrifying that these parents could live minutes away and we could like run into each other in Walmart or that my kids could just search on the internet and find them quick. Like that to me, I actually thought people were unwise. My brother adopted domestically, and I was like, this is a bad decision. You should. Why would you put your family in this? Yeah, no, I I totally get where you're coming from, or where you were coming from. I got where you were coming from. Yeah, no, you know, I had so much fear surrounding um, them finding them, them wanting to be a part of our lives. Not only on that, but if I'm being really honest, I probably deep down had some insecurities of like, am I going to? feel like mom if I know their mom is close by like they're by their birth mom you know I those were in the in the years when I was really still learning and letting God like shape my heart and me not trying to have too much control of it 
But at the time, I was still in control. So we started this international adoption. Um, I started working for an adoption consulting agency. And then about a year into that, uh, with one of the agencies we were working for, they called me on a Tuesday night and said, Casey, we have a seven-day-old baby boy in the hospital. He needs a family. His mom has already left. And we think she asked us to choose the family. We think it should be you and your husband. Literally on that drive home from work, I worked a long way from home. So I was on this hour and a half drive home. I sobbed the whole way home, like ugly crying, almost had to pull my car over. I I was crying so hard, begging God to make me a mom, like pleading with him. Like, I feel like you forgot me. Somehow Mm. you have overlooked me. Like you have overlooked my need and want and desire to be a mom. We're five years in and you have forgotten me. Um, that night at 6 p.m., we got the call about my four and a half year old foster and just said, you know, mom wants us to choose a family. We think it should be you guys. We were in the car the next day and met our son two days later in the NICU. And, you know, he's about to turn four and a half. So for anybody out there thinking God has forgotten you, trust mm-hmm. me, he is not. But, um, but yeah, it was hard to not, you know, not feel that after, after so many years and that's you know, just amazing. trying to grow our family. Like- to come to the end of your rope and cry out to God and then for him to just be so merciful. Cause I, I'm sure there are people who have had those hour and a half cry. And they didn't get that call. Exactly. Right. Um, but it's not, it's not really any different of an answer. What you just said about God hasn't forgotten you and he is there in with you. It's the same answer, whether they got the phone call that night or not, but what a beautiful experience for you to get that phone call. So you were in the middle of, an international adoption. So you had a home study, but you were not looking to be chosen by a domestic birth mom. Not at all. It wasn't Uh, even on our radar. And what is even crazier is we met our son on Friday on Monday. We had been in this Czech Republic program for a year. Um, We met our son on Friday on Monday morning. We got a referral for a little girl on the Czech Republic. I've actually never told anybody that never. Well, you Um, just told a lot of people, just so you know. I just told a lot of people, but (laughs) I've never told anybody that. Two days later, we got a referral in the Czech Republic that we had to turn down. And I'm guessing the Czech Republic would have shut you down anyway. They're not going. They would have. Absolutely, they would have, had we not pulled out of the program and said, you know, we got this call. We felt called to to move forward with this. So, So, yeah, so we obviously never ended up adopting from the Czech Republic. That little boy, Kamaga, that we met in 2013, now six years ago, um, we, he's still a huge part of our lives. We were never able to adopt him. But about three years ago, we were able, we were in a financial position to start putting him in full-time boarding school. So we, um, we talk to him all the time. We get updated oh my pictures. Amazing. We fully, we're just, God has blessed us so much that we're in a position that we can fully bless him. And we, we had committed to him regardless if we could adopt or not. So he's an amazing school. Actually, let's talk to, um, a gentleman that kind of helps coordinate everything with his school and everything. Okay. And he's going to pick him up tomorrow from school and take him back to, um, his home for the, for holiday. And it's, it's really cool. Oh it's gosh. been a really cool, really cool journey. So that is amazing. And how old is he now? Kamiga is, well, nobody really knows exact birthday. Yeah, yeah, it's in yeah. Uganda. But yeah. if we had to guess, he's probably about eight years old now. And he was about three years old whenever we met him. We think about three, three to four. So he's like eight, nine now. Okay. <laughs> but he's doing awesome. Like we get his report cards. He has all A's and B's. We speak to him on the phone. He'll sing us songs that he's learned. It's, it's the coolest relationship ever to get 
to get to like see him thrive in that environment and to see him grow and be educated in his own country. That's been, been a really, really cool experience also just, and my kids know about him now. They're always like, this is where Comigal is. And it's, oh it's my amazing. gosh, what a cool yeah. thing. Just like this divine appointment of God yeah. having this relationship there for you, even if it didn't play out the way that you thought it was going to. All yeah, right, exactly. so we got kiddo one down, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but there, there are four more. There are four more, yes. So Murphy, who is our next oldest, he is through domestic infant adoption as well. Our, um, our first adoption took a long time, which most adoptions take a long time. So when Foster was 10 months old, right when we finalized his adoption, um, we decided to pursue another adoption. At that point, I brought up to Tyler, like, do you think it's okay to now try some medical intervention to try to get pregnant? Well, then at that point, adoption was really on his heart again. So we decided to pursue it again. We updated our home study and within before our home study was even updated, within a two-week period, we heard about a little a, a, a mom that was pregnant with a, a boy, um, and we submitted our profile book, and she picked us, and 10 weeks later, he was born, and so that process was like a whole, from start to finish, was about a 12-week period, and that was really cool because me and his mom, I didn't have a relationship with Foster's birth mom through the pregnancy because he was um, what's called a stork chop, meaning he's already born whenever we got the call about him, but with Murphy's birth mom, Paris, we have this really amazing relationship where we talked every single day through her pregnancy. Um, we went in a couple days before the due date. We got to be there when she went into labor. I She ended up having to have a C-section. I was in the room. I cut the cord. I was the first to hold him. I was right there by her head when he was born. It was the most, and, and then it was really cool because like when he went to the nursery, I went with him to the nursery and they actually did have, I feel like hospitals don't always have this, but like where the curtains open and the nursery windows and everybody can see the babies. They actually had that. And so when we went in there, they opened the window and Tyler was there and her entire family, the dad was there. Her other son was there, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody was standing in front of this nursery window. So excited to meet him, which they all knew, you know, he was being placed with us for adoption. And it was so cool because her whole family was there and they, they knew that was happening and they wanted that chance to meet him. They knew we didn't, we didn't live there. Um, both of my kids' adoptions were in Florida. We live in Texas. So they all wanted to be there to meet him before the adoption okay. happened. All right. So I haven't talked to too many moms on the show who have walked through domestic adoption. So I yeah. want to chat a little bit about this because, yeah. first of all, what is it like to wait to be chosen? I mean, what a strange thing. It's so strange. Okay, so it's really hard not to like almost take like a pride hit when you're not chosen because you all, um, part of this is I've also been an adoption consultant for four, I was for four years. I just recently stepped away when we welcomed our newest daughter home, but um, I was an adoption consultant for four years. So not only have I been through two domestic adoptions, but I've walked hundreds of families through them. So I'm like, I know how to do this. Excuse me, I'm the expert. I can do this. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been through it. But, you know, one thing I hear the most is when we're not chosen, why? Did she give yeah, us any yeah. feedback? What didn't she like about our family? And my number one advice to families would be like, 
it's nothing that she didn't like about you. It's, it's something specific. She felt connected to somebody else. So instead of looking at it as like, why didn't she choose me? Which is exactly what we would do if we, when we, we weren't chosen one time and we found out that it was because the other family that was chosen was a teacher. And she really loved that this mom was a teacher. And that was not something I could change. I wasn't a teacher, right, right, right. you know, but it, but it honestly did help knowing why we weren't chosen. But, but I think if, if parents can focus more on that, she just connected. I've heard that, um, expecting moms connect with family because they have a dog, the same type of breed dog they grew up with. Like it's something so small and trivial that you wouldn't think of. It's usually not this personal that you couldn't it or change it or exactly like you couldn't change those things, but it, it is really, it's, hard. I always tell families when you're going through the home study, when you're working on profile book, that stuff is hard, but the real hard work starts when you start waiting. Like when you know you're ready and all you need is for someone to choose your family, that is a very hard feeling because there's, you can rush paperwork. You can be really quick with getting things to somebody to do your book, but you can't rush being chosen. You have no say so over when it happens. Now you had learned waiting already just through infertility struggles, but how did God meet you in your weight? Like, was there anything that carried you through that? Um, the, either the weight through infertility or the weight through being cho- yeah, like chosen. Both. I mean, just as someone who's had to learn how to wait for what she wanted and what she felt like God was calling her to, what yeah. did God teach yeah, you? Know, I know there are lessons there. Yeah, there are so many lessons. And I think that the biggest one is that no matter if you get what you want right now, or if you get what you want in five years, it's never going to be fulfilling as what God can give you every single day. Mm. And I think just relying on him, I, I feel like through every journey we've gone through, whether that was Africa, trying to adopt Kamaga, the Czech Republic, infertility, private domestic adoption, foster everything. I feel like God is and just had a lot going. of different journeys. <laughs> A lot, so many. And with each one, it 100% draws me closer to God and just allows me to learn how to lean into him because there is not a single other thing that brings me comfort. Even, and I'll be able to um, talk on this more, but even in our current situation with the uncertainty of our foster daughter, um, or if we were going to be chosen, or even when you are chosen, then you have to hope that the mom follows through with it. Yeah. And she actually places, there's that whole aspect of it too. But I found that chatting with my friends about it, confiding in family about it, even other adoptive parents that have been through it, nothing gave me that comfort, like the hope of like that Jesus would give me that no matter if it fell through or if it didn't, that he was good. And it was all for his good. It was for his kingdom and for the betterment of this baby and for us and this mom. And I think just having so much confidence in that really helped me ease up on my anxiety in the process and just knowing that truly not, not just saying it not just saying, Oh, people say that this, there's purpose in the pain all the time, but knowing that there is actual purpose in the pain, it might be purpose that we will never see. It might be someone down the road that's whole life has changed because of it. But, um, I wholeheartedly believed that. And I think just learning to lean into him through those hardships really has grown my relationship with God in ways that I could have never done without going through those things, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's part of the beautiful, I mean, if that's the only lesson is the closeness that you've experienced in having to lean into him. Yeah. I mean, I know it's easy for me to say from the bleachers, but I've had my own things where I say that was hard, but now I can see that was good because I know you better. I love you more deeply. I trust you in a realer way that 
it it trumps this thing that I thought was the actual end game. Like I was living yeah. the end game all along, which was gaining more of Christ. Yeah, that's so true. You know, I think that we, we cling to, and I, when I say we, I'm like speaking directly to myself, we cling to so tightly the idea of what we want. When if we would just like loosen our grip a little bit, God's like, but wait, if you just wait to see what I have waiting for you, the only, literally the only thing getting me through all of this uncertainty with our foster daughter right now, after her being with us for eight months is the fact that I begged and begged and begged for five years for God to let me be pregnant. And had he given that to me, I would not have two of my children. Hmm. So I fully believe as much as it will send me into a scary downward spiral spiral that I will have to pick myself back up to. If we lose our foster daughter, I 100% know that there is a reason that there, it is either for her good or for our good or for both of ours. And and I can trust and I can, I can believe in that. Um, I think knowing that that doesn't dismiss any pain that comes from it. Exactly. But you can still believe in that and have that pain. Like there's, it's not exclusively mutual exclusively. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. The the understanding that something is good and knowing something in your mind and also even in your heart doesn't just yeah. make the emotions. That's, I mean, yeah, exactly. we are human. And, you know, actually, I just saw this thing. I think it was just like a meme thing on the internet, but about how Jesus wept when Lazarus died. He knew that he was about to raise him from the dead. He yeah. knew that this was going to be part of it. He knew all of that, but he was still in the emotion of the grief and we can Mm -hmm. know who God is and hold on to it tightly and believe it hard and still cry our eyes out and still deep in the grief of it. That's so, that's so true. And I think sometimes as Christian women and just women in general, we, we feel like it has to be one or the other. We feel like it has to be, we either stand strong, suck it up. Don't let any tears happen because we're showing God that we believe in him, or we can lose it and act like that. We don't trust in his future for us, but, but it really can be both. It really can be. I can weep and cry my eyes out because of the sadness I feel knowing that it's still for his good. It's still to grow his kingdom. It's a little further his name here on earth. And and so I think that we can have both. And sometimes I think that women need to hear that. Like you can, you can be frustrated. You can be mad and sad and still believe in the goodness of God. Right. Yeah. And you can be strong in your convictions and in your yeah. spirit and still just have this tender weakness of I'm going to let myself feel these things. Yeah. Even though what I know I can stand in, in strength. I'm interrupting my chat to make sure that you know about the Real Mom Podcast landing page. You can find it at www.realmompodcast.com. There, I connect you to my guests. I connect you to all the resources and books and recipes and shows and everything that we discuss. That will be the best place for you to get the Real Mom Podcast experience. Visit there, www.realmompodcast.com. All right, let's go. So now we have two domestic adoptions. Yeah, two domestic adoptions. Yes, three more so to go. Three more to go. Um, okay, so with Harvey, Harvey's our third. He is our surprise, crazy, hey, we can get pregnant biological baby. So After when Murphy- How many years of marriage and infertility was that? At this point, Harvey is about to be two. So 
almost, it'll be six years of marriage. Um, at this point, yeah, six years of marriage that we have been trying wow. because foster came 13 months apart, back to back, like kind of almost back to back. So, um, a year or Murphy's second birthday is in November, right after he turned two, I remember driving home from my in-laws house and told Tyler that like, I think I'm ready to try fertility medication to just seek this out. And he's like, are you sure you've not wanted to do this for a long time? And I was like, I know, but I, I really just, if we never have a biological baby, I want to know that I gave everything deep down knowing I just wanted God to do this. I wanted this to be on his terms, even though it would be no matter what, of course. Right, right, but right. I wanted, I wanted him to show off. Put in your heart for you that you had. For me. Yeah, exactly. So we went to church the next Sunday and our pastor was preaching on the story of Hannah and how she got pregnant after all of these years. And she had prayed, God, if you give me this baby, I will give him back to you. And I just yeah. thought, I've got to, I need to pray that. So I, during worship with like tears streaming down my face, prayed that exact prayer to God. If you give me a baby after all of these years, I will spend my whole life giving my children back to you. I will dedicate my life giving these children back to you. So the next week, I mean, I'm like on it. So the next week I go to my, my OB, we, um, do a test to make sure my tubes are cleared and then, and they were cleared and I get the prescription for Clomid. I'm like, we're going to do it. So without going into too much detail with Clomid, you, you start after your cycle. And so I was waiting and waiting and waiting and I went to the, and I've taken hundreds and I mean hundreds of pregnancy tests. So I hadn't started and I was so excited to start this Clomed. So I go to the grocery store, I pick up a pregnancy test, I take the test. I don't even look at it because every time I take one, I just start that right then. Like an hour later, I forget about it and I go back in and it's positive. The pregnancy test is positive. The full bottle of Clomed is sitting on, I've still never, I mean, I'm going to have it at this point, it's been a year and a half. But it was never opened. Um, I call my OB, or I call my, my OB's office and say, hey, I just got a pregnant, positive pregnancy. You know, that was just routine for them. They had no idea my story. And they're like, okay, we'll have you come in for some blood work, you know, in the next day or two. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. Well, my OB calls back like an hour later. She's like screaming on the phone. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. You got, a po- you got a positive test, Casey. I told you, like, I told you this could happen. This was going to happen for you. And so for me, after, you know, six years of wanting God to do this, like he did it like six years of trying to conceive. And even through the adoptions, we never stopped trying to conceive. Um, six years of that. And in that single moment, God showed me that like, I heard your desire. It just needed to be the right timing. Um, I was pregnant. I had, it was a little boy. His name's Harvey. He is now 20 months old and we call him a beluga whale because he is just rough and tough and amazing. Uh, and so that, that, that is how Harvey came about in this crazy six years of infertility. And just like oh that God. at the drop of the hat with a prayer from my heart um, that, that God gave me that desire in my heart. And I, I've, I've thanked him for that almost every single day since. Um, not only just for my children, because I don't find my biological baby any more special than my adopted, but just for meeting me right where I wanted him to meet me. Mm. Um, I know that doesn't always happen. So I just appreciated that so much, but yeah, Harvey's Harvey's story was a crazy one. So, so what would you say to anyone who's listening? And cause obviously that prayer isn't like a magic pill. It's not like no. oh, say these words and you'll get pregnant. And no. what would you say to someone who is in the middle of that, you know, where you were three years ago? 
you know, I would say to just keep clinging tightly to the belief that God is going to meet the desire of your heart one way or another. Mm -hmm. Um, it's so important to know that like when I share my story for that exact thing, that don't say, well, I've prayed that prayer and I didn't get that because right. for six years I prayed that prayer and didn't get that. I just happened to get it six years later. And some people will never get it. And some people get it a year in, you know, I mean, every story is different. The way that God is going to work, um, his love through somebody's life and, um, you know, how he wants things to go is going to be on different timelines. And so I would just tell people to just keep clinging to that. I always tell people, if you've got a dream today, um, you, you hold on to that dream until the dream happens or in, until your dream changes. Cause he, God is either going to change the desire of your heart or he's going to meet the desire of your heart. And that's something so important for people to know is if I were to never get pregnant and we went through foster care and adoption, I wholehearted, wholeheartedly believe it's not, I don't, I wouldn't look at it as an unmet desire that God never met me there. It was just, he just changed it. That was something that, you know, he, he needed to change over time. And for us, we did end up, you know, getting pregnant after six years, but I know for some people that's listening that might never happen or they're at year six and they still haven't gotten pregnant. And that's really, really hard to walk through. Um, but I do firmly believe that, um, like I said, either a desire is eventually met. The hardest part is knowing not, not clinging to a timeline of when we think that should be met. Right. Because if you would have asked me, I thought it should have been met six years earlier and it just wasn't. Um, and now I'm so thankful for that and can see the beauty in that, but I couldn't see that for six years. So that's kind of a hard one. Thanks for sharing that. I, I hope that that really encourages someone who's listening. I know All right. So let's keep going. We've three down, two to go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're kind of crazy. So when Harvey was four months old, okay. So real quick years, um, after, after foster, I brought up foster care to so Tyler and shut his it. name is foster. That's been throwing yes. me off though. His yes. name is foster. Okay. That My is oldest child's name is foster. Okay. It goes foster Murphy Harvey. And then our foster daughter and then Lottie. Okay. So yeah, it's kind of funny that we're foster parents now. We have a son named Foster. So after Foster, I had brought up foster care to my husband and he shut it down, wasn't on his heart. And I, you know, I get asked this a lot. What are you, what do I do to change my husband's heart? My heart is for foster. How do I change right. his heart? And I always tell people, uh, first of all, you can't change somebody's heart. God's got to do right. that. So I always say, um, more importantly than doing foster care, than doing adoption, than having a baby, you and your spouse need to be on the same page. There, in my mind, is nothing more important yeah, um, than y'all being on the same page. So I always say, so one prayer that I always recommend praying is God change the desire of his heart or change the desire of mine, but make us on the same page. That has always been my prayer if we're not on the same page. Um, it's really easy to want to say, change his heart though. <laughs> and like I always joke, like change right one of the hearts, but if you if you want it to be his, that would be right. great. Right. Because I'm um, the one who's trying to help other people. I'm the one yeah. who's like, if he shut it down. more holy desire. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. yeah, exactly. So I had, you know, I brought it up to him a couple years ago and it was a, it was a hard no for him. Um, and then we were on this couple's retreat that we go on annually with some friends of ours and we were driving down the interstate. At this point, Harvey is four months old. So we have a, a baby, baby. And he says, what do you think about foster care? And we were, I remember we were driving down the interstate and I nearly like fell out of my seat. I mean, we had not, we had not talked about it since that first conversation ever. And so I was like, wait, what do you mean? He was like, well, we have adopted children. We have a biological child. Like why not grow our family through foster care again? And 
of course I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, a, let's do it now. I'm, I'm ready to go. So we look up literally while we're still in the car, look up an informational meeting. We go to the informational meeting two weeks later that in, so with our informational meeting, that can be uh, Hey, here's a meeting and you don't do it anymore. It could be, Hey, here's a meeting. And that's your first class. Yeah. So we just kind of kept going. Well, for us, we kind of like fast tracked the process because we needed childcare and just ha- so happened this one month, um, they were going to have childcare for every single class because it was, they were, all the classes were being held at the church that month. Um, and normally there's not any childcare provided. So we decided to just like hunker down. We did every single class we needed to do that month. We got all of our online classes, everything and start to finish. We were foster care licensed and approved, um, in 90 days. And oh, then we right. got our, yeah, we got our first placement two weeks later of a sibling set of girls that were six and two that spoke no English. <laughs> yeah, they spoke no English. So that was crazy. And that was they our first foster Spanish. They spoke Spanish, yes. And you don't have Spanish families, foster families that could step in for them. No, so we got the call for them. We accepted the placement and we they called us back and said, hey, they kind of speak um, like mostly Spanish, but they do speak English, but it's kind of broken. We were, we were so like any foster care parents, you know, out there, you get that first call. You're like, yes, yes, yes. You're dying. You're so excited. Um, so we were like, we'll be fine. We're going to be totally fine. So they come and, um, it was honestly, like, if I'm just being honest, it was hard because I did Google translate everything. I had to FaceTime good friends of mine who spoke, who um, adopted from Nicaragua and they speak fluent Spanish constantly to help us have conversations and understand. And the six-year-old specifically, she got, we put her in school immediately and she started doing really well. So it did get easier, but that I will say that that was a, a big struggle with us. And um, they yes, were with us. They first were placement, siblings, first placement and then you sibling. that also. Yeah, siblings, they did not speak English and they were six and two years old. Um, well, six in turn seven, right? When she came to us, she had never, um, she should have been going into, she should have been in first grade, going into second grade a couple months later. And she had never spent a day of her life in school. Um, so she also didn't have the education level where she should have been. I mean, she'd never even been to kindergarten um, or really around other kids in that kind of setting before. So we got her in school. It, we, we could not, I mean, we loved them so much. They, that was such a good first placement for us. And a lot of people, it might not have been, but it like threw the hard stuff at us immediately. Um, And so that, that was our first placement. We had them for three months and then they went to a, um, another, I, I'm not, I can't say where they went, but they went somewhere else. Um, and that household was fluent Spanish. So they will be oh, good. good. But yeah, it was a really, really good home that they went to. I felt totally comfortable where they went. It was hard when they left. Um, but I knew where they were going was a good, a good place. Mm. And, um, I knew that they would be served really well by a bilingual home that we, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. we yeah. weren't. So um, that was, that was our first foster care experience. Yeah. Florida, we got the call for our current foster daughter, who we got, she was 18 days old when we got her tiny little five pound baby. She was, you know, tiny. Um, and she just turned eight months, two days ago. So we've had her for eight months. She feels like our family. I mean, we just, I truly can't imagine life without her. We're in a really 
Um, I can't share details. And honestly, I haven't even shared any of this because it literally makes me nauseous. Just the scary part of foster care, if I'm being honest, um, of how much uncertainty, uncertainty there is right now. It's, it's pretty rocky with what's going to happen. Um, and I, I'm literally just in constant prayer with God and just asking, obviously I share the desires of my heart for her not to leave us. Um, but I also don't want to be selfish in that, in that if there's something truly better for her, I will take, I'm the adult in this situation. Like I will take the pain if that means a better outcome for her, even if I can't imagine one better than our home. And I think yeah, yeah. the number one reason that I hear and that you probably hear is why people don't do foster care is, is, is the response of, I could never handle losing them. And I, I really want people to know that I'm not superhuman. I, I'm not like, well, I'm okay losing them. I will yeah, cry yeah. in my bed for probably a week if she leaves us. But we are adults. I mean, we are the ones that are called to do the hard things. And that is, that is a hard thing. If we lose her, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. I mean, it's going to be really, really hard, but, but we're going to say yes again, if we do lose her, because there are still kids that need homes and we're still a great home. And, and I, and I just have to go back to believing that if she leaves our family, it's because um, God has something great planned for her and great planned for us. Um, and, and I can't let my personal feelings of how I feel about that get in the way of that. And that's, that's saying, I mean, any, any parent out there that has a baby, I mean, just the thought of someone literally just picking your child up and walking out of your house and most likely never seeing them again, it's, yeah. it's truly unfathomable to have yeah. to wrap your mind around. It's, it's a hard part of, um, of, foster care. But, um, I will say that every moment with her the last eight months has been amazing and hopefully we get a lifetime of her, but if we don't, then, you know, we're going to grieve that loss and we're going to pick ourselves up and we're going to keep moving and, you know, try to be really strong through it, try to get our kids through it and all of that stuff. So, um, we actually, this is another kind of tricky part of our journey that people have a lot of questions about. We, um, right when we got that placement, we found, well, we got pregnant. We didn't know we got pregnant because it had been so hard to get pregnant with Harvey. We truly never expected that it was going to just, I mean, Harvey was nine months old. We just took an 18 day old oh baby girl God. and then found out I was pregnant. And so, um, I get a lot of questions like what happens if I get pregnant and I have a placement or I'm currently pregnant and want to foster. I always tell people just check with, um, like the rules of where you're at. It's different everywhere for us. They would never take our placement away. Um, they prefer nobody to take a placement if you're pregnant, merely right. just because they don't want to put the extra stress on a pregnant mom. Right. Um, but yeah, just check, you know, the rules of where you're at, but that's, yeah. So we, I went through a whole pregnancy with a newborn and got lots of stares and lots of questions and, you know, our current foster placement was five months old when I had our baby girl, Lottie, who is now 11 weeks old and she's eight months old. And, and it's, you know, crazy, but it's our Wait, perfect so you kind have, of your youngest three are under what? So you have three under a year. No, Harvey oh. is 20 months. So it goes um, 11 weeks, eight months, 20 months, okay. three and a half, four and a half. So I have five under five, um, but three of those pretty much being babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh so it's five under five. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy, but it's all, you know, people always say like, I don't know how you do it. I'm struggling with one, but you know, when I had one, it didn't seem any easier. Like for whatever reason, this just is normal. So it seems Not just as all. hard as when I, yeah. yeah, exactly. Wherever you are, that is your capacity. <laughs> when I had one, yeah, exactly. child, this is I what you have to do. completely overwhelmed with that one child. And then when I had a second and yeah, I totally agree. I think that and you learn this like surrender of like, 
what's going to happen happens and kids are a mess and things aren't going to go right and all that. You learn that as time goes on. And so the things Mm -hmm. that are really hard when you have one are less hard when you have five. So let's start. And, and hopefully your fifth one at that point is old enough to be like, Hey, help me with this little one. I mean, we're I lucky to say my old grab me a ten, so yeah, yeah. All right, so a let's, helpful. let's switch gears a little bit to just you. And I want to yeah. know what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So what are you Ooh. doing? What am I doing? Okay. So I am a leader with young living. That is full time for me. I was an adoption consultant for four years. Uh, I served hundreds and hundreds of clients and that was one of my favorite seasons, um, job wise for me. And we joined young living four years ago when my oldest son foster came out of a six week NICU stay. And I really wanted to detox his body. So, um, now I run a team of almost 5,000 with young living and it's a full time job and yeah, it's been amazing. I also have all these other dreams that I like haven't even shared yet of starting another company with products I love. And that's kind of like in the works behind the scenes. Hopefully I don't get a, a ton of messages about, wait, what were you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, working on another project. I, um, I wrote a kid's book, a children's book. It's called, um, the simple life of Ollie and Vern. And it's about, oils, but more than that, it's about a family of diversity. Um, the siblings are different ethnicities and it's basically about each day. These kids, these kids, um, Ollie and Vern, their siblings, they go through a, just a day in their life. And with each new thing, they have kind of a struggle and they have to find a positive way to get over it. And then there's like this cute hook and, um, put your oils on, be kind today. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cute. It's on Amazon, The Simple Life of Ollie and Vern. Um, So yeah, wrote a book, oils, building a team, starting another business. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. And you know, the mom thing of the five kids. Yeah, yeah, and that, just that thing of the five kids. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what are you eating? Eating, if I'm being, I want to say this like super healthy diet, but um, my favorite thing to eat right now and all of my life is pasta, pasta, and then some more pasta. My go-to. But I'm actually like on this huge um, citrus citrus water kick. So every day I pretty much, we don't, we don't really keep um, juices or Cokes or stuff like that in our house. We just all drink water and usually some milk, but um, Yes, yeah, citrus oils in my water is my go-to right now, and um, always have that venti latte. So nice. I I'm a pasta girl too. I could I would say like the first couple years of our marriage, we ate pasta every single night. <laughs> yeah, if my husband wasn't like crazy fitness buff. That would be us too. Yeah, he I, makes I love all pasta. good stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, what are you reading? Okay. So I am reading lots of different things. I am a hop around book. So a couple things I'm reading are, um, imperfect courage by Jessica Honiger. I am reading girl stop apologizing by Rachel Hollis. I am reading the happiness advantage by Sean Acor. If nobody has read that, I could not recommend that book enough. It's called the happiness, um, the happiness advantage by Sean Acor. And then, um, business books I'm reading high-performing qualities of highly successful people. And that's by, um, I don't have it in front of me. I forgot okay, who that's I'll by. link to it. Brandon Burchard. That's who it's by. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, that drives I, people crazy that I like bounce around in books. No, anyway. I'm the same way. I, I bounce it like in one day, I'll probably have picked up five different books. Yeah. I don't even read. I used to be a massive fiction reader. I don't even really read fiction anymore. It's just I don't either. different nonfiction books that I, I'm like, this one gets my heart in the right place. This one is businessy. This one. Yeah. That's exactly, exactly how I am. Um, one other one that I'm reading that's really cool for moms that they're trying to like find a learning style for the kids. It's called the Montessori toddler. Even if you're not into Montessori or if your kids don't go to Montessori school, it's a really, really cool book. Um, a woman from Amsterdam wrote it and I've been waiting for it to be here forever because she only sold it there and it just went on sale on Amazon like a week ago. Oh yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah. All right. What are you watching? Watching. Um, so gosh, what are we watching? We switch all we're big vice people. We love watching vice. It's, it's an HBO series of like things that are going on in the world. We're huge documentary people. So, um, what did we recently watch? We recently watched a food documentary, like understanding what's in our food. Um, what have we watched recently? Oh, we're really, we're really into these rock climbing documentaries. It's so weird. <laughs> we're not rock climbers, but there's, if you're looking for like a crazy, awesome documentary, um, there's one called, um, um, free climb. What, what's it called? Oh my goodness. I just forgot the name of it, but there it's about a climber on this crazy high mountain in Yosemite and he climbs El Capitan and he does it, um, free solo, free solo. It's, it's amazing. This guy climbs a 4,000 feet mountain with no climbing gear on basically just so and it's called I free have solo. Like zero interest in rock climbing, but I am convinced that any person can sit down in front of any well-made documentary and get sucked in right away. I agree. We I don't know what so it's sucked about. In. I know. And free solo is actually amazing. We got, and we are not rock climbers. I actually am terrified of rock climbing. We've never, we're not, we don't come from a rock climbing family. We literally just rock, paper, scissors one night for a documentary I wanted to watch and one he wanted to watch and mine one. So we watched mine that night. And we've watched like okay. three since then. So free solo, can't recommend it enough. Cool. Okay. And what are you listening to? Ooh, um, I kind of hop out all over the place with this right now. Also, um, there's a song, uh, a Christian song that I'm loving right now. And it is called, um, it's called one. It's called only want to sing and it's by youth revival acoustic. It's amazing. I listen to it on repeat. But if you're looking for a cool mellow album, I'm obsessed with the new Mumford and Sons Mumford and Sons um, album that just came out. And their album is called. Yeah, I used to be a big Mumford fan, but I haven't really listened to this at all. I, I haven't either. Um, I actually just saw someone share about it the other day in their stories. It, there was a Mumford and Sons song on, and I went to go look it up, and it, they just came out with a new album called Delta. So. I've been listening to that on my walks. There's also another song I'm loving right now by Sarah Bareilles and John Legend, and it's called A Safe Place to Land. It's really good. I like how your answers are songs and not just artists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Specific yeah, I do. the lyrics and the style, not just like a general I, artist. Nope. Yeah, I do. 
Okay, well, Casey, I feel like we probably could have talked for three more hours. I had I 20 different questions for each of your children. and But it was great just to hear your story and to hear not just the details of your story, but how God met you and the hope that there is yeah. in that for other women who are experiencing the same things or considering jumping into those same things. So I just really appreciate your truth-filled, God-centered perspective of it all and just your willingness to share with us. So thanks so much for being a guest today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening. 